Today, Randy is going to talk about finding life satisfaction. But before he does, let me set the table. As Atlantans, we are all well aware of how hot it is in July, right? Maybe we're outside by the pool with our friends and family on the 4th of July and we get really thirsty, right? Maybe we want a large glass of ice water or maybe a large sweet tea from Chick-fil-A. Whatever it is, we want it because we want to satisfy our thirst. But what happens after we drink it? Well, we want another one, right? Because, because it only satisfied for the moment and then we want it again. Extending beyond just being Atlantans, um, we all search for something that will satisfy, right? For me, I search for life satisfaction through the cars I drive. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I love awesome, fast, really expensive, foreign cars, okay? We took a picture of me finding life satisfaction in the cars that I drive. So take a look. Yeah, that's me cheesing it in the Ranger. Okay, but, but seriously though, right? Do we not all search for life satisfaction in something? Or maybe it's sex. You go from one relationship to the next, searching for intimacy or, or companionship. Maybe it's your image. Maybe you exhaust hours in the gym because, uh, because you want to look a certain way or, or buy the most expensive clothes or get cosmetic procedures done because you feel that if you look a certain way, you'll be loved, right? Well, maybe it's money. Maybe you work 100 hours a week at your job because you think if you just make a little more money, you'll be a little more comfortable and a little more satisfied. But what always happens, right? It lasts for a moment and then we want more, right? We need more. So Randy's here today to discuss finding that life satisfaction. Satisfaction that is not momentary, but satisfaction that lasts. So please give your attention to Randy Pope. Welcome to all. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you. We, uh, we call this investigative forum because it is just that. It is a forum where people can feel free to come uh, investigate uh, in a non-threatening, which we hope it will be, non-threatening, uh, enjoyable, and also a, uh, uh, a brief time. Quite frankly, I think most people want to figure out, you know, what is faith all about? What's Christianity as one of the faiths and to investigate it. And so that's what we're here to do is to do just that. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to have three uh, different groups of people that are among us here, just so you know. Um, smaller group than we normally have, which, by the way, I'm, I'm going to look forward to next time. We're going to take some of the chairs out and be able to be a little bit closer and whatever, and we'll be able to uh, interact, hopefully, on a uh, more casual basis with the size uh, being smaller. I think that'll be uh, very, very good. But we have people here every time we've done this. We've done this for years and years, a couple of times each year. And uh, one of the things that we see are there are people who are coming, and we're glad they are, many of you perhaps, uh, who are skeptical of the Christian faith, but at the same time saying, you know, I'd like to check it out. I'd like to see a little bit uh, more about that. Um, a bit uncertain, maybe. Maybe not even skeptical, but just uncertain. You know, is the faith of Christianity what some people, like myself, are claiming it to be? So, love to hear some of the background and why and so forth about that. There's a second group of us that would be here that would be people who would say, you know, I, I think I have beliefs of the Christian faith, but I can't say that they're convictions. In other words, had I been raised in North Africa, I may well be saying Allah 
instead of talking about Jesus. If you ask me, do I believe about Jesus? Yes. Do I believe this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christianity, I pretty much believe it. But that's all it is. It's a, it's a belief. It doesn't go any further. This will be very, very helpful, I think, for you, particularly as you see some of the issues we're going to get into in discussing. There's a third group of us, and that would be people who would say, you know, I would say it's a conviction that I really do. I've come to the place I really believe in the Christian faith. But uh, I would feel a bit insecure if I had to address some of the issues that I know friends are asking when they begin to investigate the Christian faith. I'd love to know, you know, some things that would help me understand it better and like to further that understanding. So regardless of which group uh, you're in, welcome. I do ask that if you're in the last two groups that you not replace your worship of your God for this, that this would be kind of an add-on on, on Sundays and you go ahead and keep your regular schedule of what you would be doing uh, on Sundays. The, uh, the time that we spend together will be divided into three parts. The first part is I'm going to address one of five questions that are the most significant questions I think to be asked. Now You need to understand that I get the privilege of doing this, what I'm doing right now, I've done this for 40 plus years, 45, 50 years, 45 at least. And I do it not every week, but most weeks with somebody on an individual basis and many, many, many of those weeks with multiple people. Now that's the ideal for me because we can sit down and build a friendship, relationship, hear the questions, talk about it, interact and so forth, which won't be as easy in a group like this, but we can get close to that. So I've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And as I've done it over and over and over, I find out that the questions that we're asking, they're fivefold. You hit these five questions and you have really hit the vast majority of the issues related to understanding the Christian faith. Now, there'll be a lot of other questions. And so in light of the other questions that will be asked, we want to make this a safe forum. So the last thing we will do is we will spend time opening the floor to questions. Uh, each group is different. I mean, sometimes when we've done this through the years, I mean, the questions just pop up and they just keep coming. We cannot get to all the questions that are raised from the floor. Uh, others seem to be a quieter group and, and we'll get more from text or we'll get more from emails, which you'll be free to throw those in. Even as I'm speaking, any question that comes up during the week, you can throw them in and then we'll have those and, and we'll bring some of those if we need to the floor. So uh, we'll try to mix those up even a little bit because some of you have questions you really want to be answered. But at the same time, you feel a little shy to get up in a group and, and even to voice with a microphone so, so we can all hear. So whatever you feel comfortable with, that's what we want to make uh, as, as readily possible as we possibly can. But in between the statement, the question that I'm going to address, the one of the five, and the questions that you're going to ask, however you ask them, in between that is going to be us walking through some questions that are in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to explain that just a little bit later. You have a Gospel of John that is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It has some questions in the margin. And I'm going to show you how to read that on your own if you'd like to make your investigation really an excellent one. So I'll give you a little bit of information there as we come. Let me tell you what the five questions are. These are the questions that I see are constantly the most important question. The first question that we're going to address today is, uh, look, is there anything more out there? Uh, how would I find if there is, is there, uh, is there such a thing as really finding satisfaction of life? So I'm going to address that one. That's always the appropriate one to start with. 
In other words, if we don't think there's a possibility for something more, why would we search? But if we think, well, maybe there is something more out there, then we would say, why wouldn't we continue? So that's the first, and you'll see why that's so important. The second question that we're going to address, which will be next week, is the issue about the Bible. How can Christians believe that this thing called the Bible ever was given from God, and if it were given from God when it was first written, how in the world could we even remotely believe that it could be handed down generation after generation after generation after generation and still be what it originally was? Do we just have to stick our head in the sand as Christians and say, well, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but, but I'm going to believe it just because we're supposed to believe it? Or is there valid reason that would give someone the thought, I believe it. I actually can believe it without shelving my brain. So that'll be number two question. Number three question, this one to me is the pinnacle. This is the, this is the toughest one. It's the one that I think deserves the most attention. I will give more time to this than any, and that is this. How can it be that God would allow good people, moral, religious people, outside of Christianity, how is it that he would have them perish forever, which is a foundational teaching of Christianity. God's people who are really his go to heaven and those who are not perish in hell forever. Are you telling me that there's a loving God that allows that to happen? And very closely related to that one that we'll cover at the same time will be this. Well, how is it that if he's a good God, he's allowing all of this stuff in my life to take place? How could he put me in this situation? How could he allow this to happen to me? If God is powerful, if he's who he claims to be, how in the world would he ever allow that to happen? So that's, that's the big one of all. And you're going to find the best news of all news, I think, in that question. Then the next week, which will be week number four, we're going to talk about the question, what about Jesus? We'll look at other religions. You know, why, how would we investigate all the religions to find out which we think is the best of all religions? And then we'll look at, well, how would we think, what would make us believe that of all the religious leaders that have ever lived, Jesus is the one and the only way to get to heaven to know God. That is a primary teaching of Christianity. It has been from its very inception. It's the teaching of Jesus himself. So we want to say, is there merit in believing what Jesus would say? Then the last question that is obviously the important one is, well, what is it that Jesus, in case I think maybe he could be who he claimed to be, what does he say? Not what do the religious leaders say, what do, all, what, do the, what do the religions of the world say, but what did Jesus say was required to be in relationship with him and go to heaven one day? What does he say? And so that will take us through the five. Now, there are going to be a lot of questions I, I hope you'll be, be asking. I mean, there'll be questions about uh, what about evolution and creation? You know, we all know the Bible says the, you know, God created it. Is there, I mean, any merit in even believing such a thing in a scientific world like today? And, and then the questions go on from there. So I'll leave those questions to you. I'll cover the five, and then we'll make plenty of time to make sure you can ask any questions. The way it works for me we're not here to say X amount of time. If I share what I share and we walk through that and then there are no questions, 
early lunch. We'll all do well with that, okay? So I, I want you to get this right now. I hope you understand. It's this way when I meet with every person individually. I want them to know I'm here for you. I, I hope you don't see that you're here for me because I would do fine, you know, not having, I never like getting up in front of a crowd. So that's, that's not going to hurt my feelings at all. I'm here to help other people investigate. And I hope as you come that you'll find that this is a forum for you. And if we're not helping you, then we understand. And, and by the way, I, I think you're going to listen. Some of you are going to listen to the best that I'll have to be able to say. And you'll say, that's not persuasive to me at all. But that's okay, because what you're doing is you're investigating Christianity to find out what do you believe. This may help you determine that you don't believe in Christianity. So be it. That's, that's okay. You, you've got to determine what you believe is right. And we're just here to try to help. That's all I'm trying to do is say, how can we make that? So some always come and they want to stump me, want to throw out something to make the Christian, Christianity look bad and all. You're losing a battle there because I don't care. That's not, that's not here. I'm, I'm here to help you. So I hope you'll find this to be a very, very beneficial time. Now, having shared what those questions are, let's go to the first. And that is, how, do, how does a person find life satisfaction? What is really the answer to that? Well, again, as I mentioned, I've met with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, primarily men, but some women with Carol being with me and others so forth. But I know it's the same with all the women. But I've met with the hundreds that I've met with, and I'm telling you, it's like they're all looking for the same thing. It's like they're all in a search. And by the way, when I say they, I can vividly remember my search as well. It was my story as well. It's like we're all in a search to put a puzzle together. The puzzle being put together is how do you find life satisfaction? And I'm telling you, it's like everybody is frantically trying to find that missing piece of the puzzle. But it, they don't find it, and they say it just doesn't make sense. The picture is not complete. Something is missing. So I use the story of Judy, just, and that's not her name, but it is a true story. I'm in my office one day, and uh, my assistant comes to me and says, uh, there is a lady that is uh, out in the, in the office area who is desperately in need of seeing you right this very minute. Well, I was in the middle of something. I said, well, can this wait? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right doing this right now. Can we, there was no appointment. Can I finish this before? And my assistant, who I would respect and listen to her judgment on anything, she says, I think you need to stop what you're doing, and you need to meet with her now. I said, okay. What's the problem? She says, I think she's suicidal. Well, I've, I've met with a lot of people over the years who have said they were suicidal or they want to take their life or wish they could or whatever, whatever. And I don't think most certainly are at the point where they truly are suicidal, but they're down, they're depressed, and they think about death as a positive option, but they're probably not going to do it. Well, let me tell you, after I met with Judy, I was convinced Judy was about to take her life. In fact, she was excited, it seemed to me, she was looking forward to getting it all over with. So as I, as I sat down with Judy, I said, Judy, tell me your story. And she said, well, I, I can't find any satisfaction in life. I, I'm just, 
Everything is just, I don't know, something's wrong. I, I just can't find it. And I'm tired of living. I'm tired of trying. I just want to end it now. And, and I go, well, tell me the problems that you're having that make life so disturbing and undesirable. She says, well, that's part of my problem. I, I don't have any major problems. She said, I'm married to a very fine man. I would say this lady was in her early 50s at this time. Uh, maybe late 40s. She said, I'm married to a very fine man. I have two children, and my children are, are, are fine children. We have a good relationship. All is good there. I'm very well employed. I'm making good money. Uh, our finances is not our issue. I, I live in a nice home. And she went on to describe what most people would say is the American dream, what you're looking for. And she seemed to have it all. But she says, but I'm telling you, there's something so missing in me, I hate living. I just, I, 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 can't, I can't figure it out. I said, well, let me ask you, do you go to this church? I know she was not familiar looking to me. I said, uh, but there are a lot of people here that I wouldn't recognize or know. And I said, do you come to our church? She says, no, I don't. However, and I said, well, why would you come to talk to me? She said, well, my son and his wife, my daughter-in-law, have started coming here to your church. And I've watched something happen in their lives. And it's something unusual. It's different. They're happier. And so I thought before I do anything, I thought I might just check this out as a last effort. She went on to tell me how she had planned her, life, her, her death. She said, I'm assuming, I've heard with pastors that they keep confidence on all things that are personal. I assume you would do that. And, and she told me exactly how she would end her life when, the detail, she said, and everyone will assume it's an accident. That's the way I want it to be. So, as I listened to her, though it was such a sad, you know, heartbreaking story, you, you felt horrible for her, but at the same time, there was this little smile inside of me. Because as I'm listening to her, I'm thinking, Judy, I got the answer. I got the answer to this one. And so when she finished, I said, can I, can I share with you? Can I share with you a, a story that I think might help you understand why you're where you are and then maybe how you would find yourself out from where you are? So she said, well, yeah, sure. I said, it's called the story of glory. And by the way, Judy, most of the people that are in the church that I pastor would not really understand glory, not like I'm talking about it now. It's a hard thing to grasp, I guess, but... You know, glory is in the Bible over and over and over and over. But there are three types of glory. Most people know two of them, but they don't know the one that I'm talking about. There's the glory, and glory means splendor or, or majesty, or, or um, it's that which is to be, you know, the renown of an individual or God or whoever it is. There is the glory of God. He is a glorious God. He's a renowned God and so forth. So there's glory of God. There's glory to God. If you've heard Christmas songs and so forth, you talk about glory to God in the highest, the scriptures, glory to God. That's the glory that we as people can offer to God. We can hold him up in a big way and, and applaud him and, and make him special. That's his glory that we give to him. But there's a third type of glory, and this is the one that I'm talking about. The third type of glory is the glory that comes from God. 
It's glory that He gives to people. And that's the one I'd like to tell you about in the story of glory. And so she was very open to hear. And I said, let me, let me summarize this story in four chapter titles. And really, the four titles tell the whole story. I don't have to say much and just give you the titles and just a, a word or two of explanation. The first is this. The first chapter is designed with glory. We're designed with glory, meaning this, that according to the Bible and Judy, and just like I'll say to you people, hey, you got to figure out whether you think the Bible is worth listening to, reading, believing, or not. I mean, it may just be a book written by man, and it's no different, no better than any other book. Or maybe it's written from God. That's why the next week we spend is on why would a Christian believe the Bible's God's Word without error? But I said, let me just tell you, this is where it's coming from. That's all I'm trying to say. But it's that man was designed with glory. Meaning, when God brought people into this world, in the first people, Adam and Eve, well, I know, Judy, that's a, that's a debatable thing, is it really? But just listen to the story. According to the record of the Bible, when God brought mankind into this world, that what he did is he had, he had man with glory, with a, with a, a designed with glory, meaning a real satisfaction. It was there and available. So designed with glory, meaning that we came into this life with everything we needed for, for life satisfaction. That's chapter one. Chapter two is fall from glory. It says in the scriptures, the Bible, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning this, that everybody, everybody's gone against God in some form or fashion. I mean, I don't hear anybody ever coming to me saying, oh, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I don't care what their standard of measurement is, whether they believe the Bible or not. Everybody says, yeah, I've kind of messed up. I'm not really, I'm not the best person. I can't. We all have our issues. And, and what happens is when that takes place, man is stripped of his glory. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which takes us to chapter 3, Judy, and that is this, search for glory. Do you know that every one of us, every one of us are in a search to find this satisfaction? And that's really what glory is, it's satisfaction. And we're in this search to figure it out. And out of the womb, we start looking. And we got to get this to be happy. And give me this. And I want this. Don't take that from me. i got to have, got to have. And we're always looking for something. And we grow older, and nothing really changes. What we really are ending up doing in life, as I often say, is we're, going, we're really going from garbage heap to garbage heap. Here's what we do. Toy to toy. Fix to fix relationship to relationship, and we're always thinking, if I could have that, if I could have him, if I could have her, oh man, would I be satisfied. And so our whole effort in life is on this search to go and get, whether it be money, whether it be fame, it doesn't matter. We find our own things that we think is going to make us satisfied, and we go out looking for it. And you know what happens? To, if we're honest, if we get it and Often we can't, but whatever we go after, if we do get it, it does satisfy. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to say it satisfies for only a very, very brief moment. It just, uh, in the, uh, our worship services last night, I was at our service here, and uh, uh, Jeff, who was 
was uh, teaching this weekend, uh, he gave the story of Tom Brady. And, uh, and this is not a, an unusual story to hear this kind of thing, but Tom Brady, who has got everything the world could ever ask, if you know the quarterback for the New England Patriots and so forth, and uh, I mean, just has it all. And uh, he'd won the Super Bowl, everything, MVP and all this. And uh, his comment was this, and you can go online and hear him say it. He says, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And uh, someone asked, uh, well, what do you think it is? And his answer, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. But we get, and it's satisfying. Oh, yeah, he's thrilled when he wins the Super Bowl. There's something, oh, that's good. But the next morning or maybe that night, it's like, is that it? Something is missing. And I know it is. I was, um, I was in... Uh, got a phone call from a guy who, who said, uh, hey, can we, have, can we meet for breakfast? And I said, well, who, tell me what makes you call me and who are you and so forth. They said, well, I'm a friend of, and he mentioned, he mentioned his good friend who was a friend of mine, but a brand new friend. It's a friend that I had connected with and started meeting with on a regular basis, doing an investigative forum just personally with him. And as we're doing this forum and meeting and all, man, his life really radically changed. And so he apparently was with his good friend, and they were at my friend's mountain house. They had a, a place on the mountain. And uh, his good friend and, and, and that wife and their wives were in working in the kitchen or doing whatever they were doing. And they're out just on the, on the porch area and looking out over the beautiful scenery and all, and they're just talking. And they started talking about life. And uh, the, the, the fellow that had called me now, he, he said, I... I just asked a question to my friend, our mutual friend. I said, are you satisfied? He said, what do you mean? Well, are you satisfied with life? And he said, Greg responded by saying, I am now. And I said, what do you mean you are now? Well, I haven't been satisfied at all, but something's recently changed all of that, and I'm, I'm finding a satisfaction that I've never had before. And, uh, and so he says, well, how? Well, what, tell, explain it. He said, well, it's so new, I really can't. But I can tell you the, the name and number of the guy that helped me figure it out. And so he calls me to ask me if I'll meet with him. So I'm sitting there, and I said, well, tell me your story. He said, I, I got everything in the world. I got it all. He said, I got a, uh, I'm a multimillionaire. I, I've got an incredible, thriving business that I own. He said, I live in probably the nicest neighborhood in North Atlanta. If not the nicest, one of the two or three. I've got a gorgeous wife. I've got two fine boys. I've got everything a person wants. And I am just so empty, I can't stand it. So I said, well, let me tell you the story of glory. When I got here, search for glory. When I said that, literally, he takes his hand and he slaps the table. And he said, that's me. I said, no, that's all of us. He said, that's me, though. I'm telling you, big time. I said, explain. He said, I don't know. I got something about clothing, high-end clothing. I don't know why it does something for me to buy new clothing. And because I can afford what I want, I go down to my favorite store in Buckhead. I buy several thousands of dollars worth of clothing. I am on a high like you can imagine. I put it in the trunk. I start driving home, and I declare by the time I get home, the high is gone, and I feel no different having bought all that clothing. What's wrong with me? 
I said, well, you know, it, it, it's, it's what's wrong with all of us. We're in a search for glory. And it's like a narcotic. Let me tell you, every time, every time a drug addict takes a drug, it does feel good, but it only creates a bigger need that leads less satisfaction when it's gone. It's just like it doesn't, it, it doesn't continue. And so I explained that to Judy. And I said, Judy, you know, here's the difference. You're a lot ahead. You're way ahead of most of us. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's kind of like the Internet. You know, you can just keep going on the Internet forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You're never going to come to the end. Well, most of us in life are still thinking there's something out there, and we're going to find it, and it's going to satisfy. And that keeps our hope, and that keeps us going. Oh, it's going to, oh, I'm going to get this. I'll get this. It'll satisfy. It'll satisfy. And that just keeps us running. But you've come to the conclusion that all of us need to come to, and that is there's nothing out there that's really going to satisfy. And so you've said, forget it. It's over. There's nothing left. But I said, Judy, there is a fourth chapter to the story of glory. And she said, what's that? And I said, it's called discovery of glory. Discovery of glory. And she said, what's that? I said, well, there's one verse in the Bible that I think summarizes it. It's certainly been my experience to be true. It doesn't mean it is true. But in Colossians 1.27, it says this. It says, and Jesus is the hope of glory. Hmm. I said, I think that's what you need to find out. Is he or is he not? If he's not the hope of glory, then I don't think there's ever going to be anything. I couldn't, I couldn't advise you. You've come to the wrong guy if, if, if that's not it. But I think really you will find that it is. Well, as it turns out, this lady who didn't live right near, near us and so forth, but she, uh, I put her with uh, a lady that met with her on a regular basis. And from what I understand, she embraced what we were talking about, and she has lived happily, or at least no suicide. Anything. I, at least I never heard of it. If it was, I wouldn't know. But I'll tell you what, Judy left saying, I think I found what I'm looking for. I think I found what I'm looking for. The thing is, I can tell that story over and over and over and over again with people that I know right now, where they are, what they're doing, and they would be here saying, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Glory was what I was looking for. And I wrote in my journal, I've rarely shared this, but I, I, I had in my journal a note, and I thought I'd just read it. This is what I wrote back several years ago. If Jesus is the hope of glory... The pursuit of satisfaction from mere career success, marital happiness, sexual pleasure, or even religious endeavors is all in vain. So in light of all of that, in light of the reality that uh, uh, there's a universal search that is going on, I want to share a diagram with you. And because we don't have the John questions till next week, that'll be the next four weeks, I'm going to take the balance of the time. This would be about all I would typically spend in answering a question. But I'm going to show you a quick diagram that I think may put this together and help you maybe get a, uh, a perspective on investigation, why, and so forth. So let me, let me draw it like this. And I hope you can see this. If you can't, you do have an insert that has the diagram, and you can fill it in. But I'm going to put up a... Uh, I'm going to put up a, a box here, and I'm going to let this box represent mankind, all right? Now, everything I'm about to say, based on the Bible, you're going to have to figure out whether you believe it's true or not. That's up to you. But 
according to the Bible. When God designed man, he and she were designed with drives in life. And I'm going to put three drives. The first drive I'm going to put as a spiritual drive. I put a little SP there if you're too far away, but it just simply says a spiritual drive. That is a quest to find out about God. Here's what you'll find interesting. Search this out. You'll find it to be true. There's never been a culture of mankind, never been a culture that did not have religion. For some reason, every people in every place as a collective group have religion. As if to say, there is something beyond us. We all have a drive to figure that out. Now, the second drive is a little bit shorter, and I'm going to put that as a, I'm going to put P-S-Y, psychological, or let me just say maybe intellectual. You could put I-N-T there, intellectual drive. An intellectual drive, which is basically uh, to find out what's true and what's not, what is and what isn't. We just, uh, curiosity in all of us to figure out what that is, and it's just a natural drive. And then I'll put a much smaller drive here that I'm going to put physical and physical drive, referring to any and every drive that we have that are, are, are normal, natural, appropriate drives. We have a drive for food. We have a drive, physical drive for drink, for uh, sex. There's just natural drives that we have. So the way I've put it up, though, is that the strongest of the three is the spiritual. Because, again, based on the Bible, what we know is that when the spiritual, which is designed to be the strongest part of our being... When it is in that strongest place, we have what I'm going to call the three great commodities of life. Now, you may agree with this, that these are the great commodities. We'd all have to say they're at least among the greatest of commodities. So the first, I'm going to put a P up here, and the P stands for purpose. Purpose is just a reason for living. Uh, every person wants to wake up every day saying, I feel like i got a purpose for being here. And feel good about that purpose. That's all it is. I'm going to put a little F here. And F stands for freedom. Freedom is not the license to do anything we want to do. It's the power or the ability to do what we know we should do. That's what people really are looking for is freedom, not license. And then I'm going to put an A here. And the A stands for assurance. Every person who thinks there may be something after death, they want to know that they're in a good place, not a bad place. They like that assurance while they live. Those are the three great commodities. Now, again, this is what happens when you're balanced like this, according to the Bible, right or wrong, purpose, freedom, and assurance. But as we mentioned earlier, everybody goes against God. So I'm going to put this little squiggly line there, and that's just to say there's a break from God. And that we, we go our own way. As that verse I mentioned, all sin falls short of the glory of God. As a result of that, there is now an inversion of drives that take place. Now it's backwards. It's like this. Same drives, but now the spiritual is stronger than the physical drives. And when that happens, no longer do we experience the purpose, freedom, and assurance that we're designed to have, at least according to the Bible. All right? So this happens, and we know something's missing. We know we don't have purpose, freedom, and assurance like we need. So what do we do? We add on, and I'll put a little dotted line here. We add on what I call a pseudo-spirituality. A pseudo-spirituality, which is basically religion, morality, whatever it may be. 
that we think is going to make us better. This was my story. I added religion, thought that that was maybe the answer, but we all find out it really is not the answer. It doesn't bring greater purpose, freedom, and assurance. So we'll take this to one more box. I apologize for you that are behind me here, but I'll put this box down here. Unless something turns this process around, what happens is the spiritual, I'll make it dotted now, uh, it, it begins to decline where people begin to wonder if there is a God and if there is, how do you know? That's kind of the, you know, I don't know. And they just begin to wonder. And, and then what happens is to so many corresponding to that, this physical drive can turn sensual. And now what you eat, drink, or sex becomes so powerful that often takes over people and, and actually does terrible things in their life experience. Now, everybody is somewhere on this continuum. All right. That being the case, you know, let's say that a person, let's say a person finds himself at an extreme, maybe even way down here. So I'll put a, I'll put a little stick figure person here. And this person, let's say, has come down to this place in life. What often happens with a person here is they meet somebody who says, don't know if it's accurate or not, but they say, I used to be somewhere in here, and now I'm at a point where I'm finding an unusual purpose, freedom, and assurance that I've not had. So I'll put PFA here, and now the, the strongest drive is now spiritual. Now, this, is, this would be my story. Maybe I am self-deceived. Maybe I'm just religiously, you know, whatever, and that's why you're investigating. I don't know. But I can say, and I'll tell you this, you don't, may not know me to even say, am I integrous enough to be believed? But I'm, I truly believe this is what happened to me. I've got a long, long, long way to go, and this era is not near what it needs to be. Uh, this era is way too big, but I'll say this. It's gotten more into balance now in such a way that I'm experiencing purpose, freedom, and assurance that I didn't have. But that's just to be evaluated by you. Do you think that's true or not? In fact, this person often meets someone right here. And they, they blow them away. They say, I, I blow them off. And I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think you're self-deceived. I think you're happy. That's good for you. If you're happier because of your self-deception or whatever, that's your business. But often this person watches this person in crisis of life, maybe losing a, a child or something horrific. And they say, wow, look at the pain they're in. But at the same time, they got something unusual. What is going on with them? And often this person begins to ask about this person or to that person, how do you get from here to here? And I'm going to put one last box here that's a step to that. I'll tell you what I'm convinced is the wrong answer to put in here. The wrong answer is to say, well, what you have to do is you have to go to church. You have to, uh, you have to be moral. You have to walk down the aisle at church. Better yet, pray some kind of prayer as you go down the aisle. Get emotional about your religious stuff. And that's it right there. I go, no, it's not either. Many of us, you and me, we've gone through that before and it didn't make a difference. That's not the answer. So well, what is the answer? Now, doesn't mean it's the answer, but I'm going to suggest to you, I'm convinced that the answer is in a person, and that's in the person of Jesus. But that raises a huge question, and that is, who is Jesus? I mean, really, that, that's the whole crux of the matter. Who is he? 
Many of you perhaps have, have heard of C.S. Lewis, a great intellect. Um, died in the 60s, but uh, even to this day, you can go uh, you know, anywhere around the world and they're using it in him in, in all kinds of universities as one of the great minds of all time and so forth and so on. Uh, you might know him better. There was a movie written on his life or, or that was made on his life called Shadowlands that went across the country at one point. Uh, you might know the little trilogy that, that he wrote that, include, uh, the line, that includes the line, the witch in the wardrobe, which was made into a movie and so forth. Well, that, that was his. Well, he was a great skeptic of Christianity. He called himself an atheist at one point. And he was in his... Uh, uh, Midlife, I would say, early 40s, I think it was. I'm not sure exact age, but he was, uh, he was a skeptic of Christianity and against it at some point. And, and, uh, but he had a good friend named R.J. Tolkien. Many of you know the author, Lord of the Rings. And they would get together at a pub and they would talk together. And they were both men of equal intellect and they could really talk to each other. And, and Tolkien would challenge him about this very thing. He said, this is what happened to me. And C.S., you need to look at this and so forth. And so he challenged him to investigate, which C.S. Lewis did. And when he investigated, he actually became a follower of Jesus. His life radically changed. He became one of the great spokesmen for Christianity, uh, particularly during that uh, season of, 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 uh, of the world when he was living. I mean, just incredible how God used him. But he wrote a little book that was a book to the intellectual called Mere Christianity. And in it, believing that people should have the opportunity to at least investigate Christianity, this is what he said. He said, as you investigate Christianity, if you do it intellectually, you can only come to one of three conclusions. And here they are. He said, either Jesus was a liar, meaning he claimed to be God, and he knew that he wasn't, which would make him a liar. Or number two, he was a... He was a lunatic, he claimed to be God, and he thought that he was, but if he wasn't, then that would make him on the level of a lunatic, right? And if I were to say to you, oh, by the way, I'm glad your friends brought you to uh, IF today because I don't know if you realize it, but I'm God, and you get the privilege of hearing me speak to you as God. I mean, you'd be gone, I, there wouldn't be a seat left, you'd go, that guy's crazy. He thinks he's, maybe that was Jesus. Maybe he was just a lunatic, or number three, he was who he claimed to be, Lord of the universe. Now, here's my thinking. I was a math major in college, very analytical, kind of want answers to issues and questions and so forth. And, and so my, my thinking is this. If I investigate, right or wrong, because I could be wrong, but if I investigate and I conclude that he's liar or lunatic, then I think I'm a fool to follow somebody who's now dead that I think was a liar or lunatic. Why would I go to church? Why would I read this, the Bible, which, which he gives affirmation to? Why would I do that? However, if I concluded right or wrong that he was who he claimed to be, Lord of the universe, then the question is, I think I'd be the fool of fools not to follow him. And so that's why I think investigation is so important. Now, to end this, I think the, the question that we have to ask is, how do you go about investigating? Well, I'm going to tell you what I think the wrong approach is. The wrong approach is me handing everybody a Bible and say, there it is, go find it on your own. You'll see it's in there. 
I mean, you know what you'd do if you did, if you were so foolish to even try? What you'd do is you'd take the Bible and you might read through Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament. You go, mm, that was a little interesting. Exodus, okay. Leviticus, Numbers, man, you come to a screeching halt and you say, if the answers are in that book, I'm telling you, I'll never find it. So here's my read on it. I think what we need are we need, we need something that gives us what we're looking for. You know what I'm finding I wanted and everybody wants? Everybody wants these. They want two things. They want brevity and privacy. They want to investigate, but they want to do it briefly. Don't send me like C.S. Lewis to the libraries to read a hundred books in my investigation. I'm not going to do it. Number two, I want privacy. I want to take data, and I want to go to the privacy of my own home. I want to, I want to go into my, and I want to look at it kind of on my own. Now, what I do want is somebody to help me navigate through this. But when I say privately, I mean this. I don't want somebody pushing me. I don't want somebody preaching at me. I don't want somebody telling me that I'm wrong if I don't believe this. And No, I want somebody that will just help me investigate. And so that's why we put together an investigative forum. Investigative forum is just a brief, simple time where you can hear the answers to the most important questions. In fact, I'm convinced this, having done this hundreds and hundreds of times, if somebody investigates these questions that we're doing and you investigate, you've had a very sufficient investigation to be able to come to a conclusion. I really believe that. So that's why we do what we do, to give you the opportunity to do just that. So you've already heard the outline of what we're going to do, how we're going to go about it. I hope you'll find that that'll be beneficial. Uh, I will tell you this, that uh, I've given you a, a copy of of the Gospel of John, and uh, you'll see in it, if you have it in your hand, take it out just a minute and look at it with me just for a quick minute. The, uh, you notice in the margin, just on page one, you see in the margin of page one that there are two questions. What I'm going to invite you to do, and it's your call if you do it, but if you want to investigate, I'm telling you it's the best thing i found, is if you'll go through five chapters each week, so this week, if you would read five chapters of John, that takes you through page 10. And if you look at the questions, they're in the margin. They're going to be about six or seven questions that, that go through to the end of chapter 5. And if you'll just look and try to find the answer to those questions, and you'll find the answer found directly across from where the question is asked. I'm going to hit the highlight of these each week in segment two of each week. And what I'll do is I'll address some of these questions and you'll find that, wow, I had no idea that's what it was really saying. And that'll help you in your investigation. I personally believe, could be wrong, but I believe out of all the times I've done, that actually this exercise in John is more valuable than the five questions. And I'll explain that why when we come to the end. But I hope you'll, you'll do that. If you would like to do the best thing for an investigation, in my experience doing this hundreds and hundreds of times, if you read a little bit of John every day, just through chapter 5. And if you finish before you're back here the next week, keep reading a little bit. Just loop it around. Keep going. You cannot read it too much. This will make a big difference in your investigation. I found that most every person who is a theist 
wants to have investigated Christianity before they die. Here's the analogy. Imagine that you had only a, a very, very small amount of money, 50 bucks, 100, you don't have much money at all. And that's to live on for the rest of your life. You don't have any income and you think, man, I, I got to have this money. But you know the money's not going to get you everything you need, but at least you got that little bit left. And you find out, you find out that there is a $20 lottery ticket that you can buy which gives you a 10% chance of winning. There's only going to be 10 tickets, and you can get one of the 10 for 20 bucks. I've asked this question so many times to people. Would you buy the ticket? And everybody says yes. And the reason is because there's such a great potential you know, gain with such a very little. Now, it does take 20 of my 100 bucks. That's, that's big but not based on what I could get. And on the basis of that, I would do it. Well, the same thing for people who are theists, meaning they believe in God. If they believe in God, then they want to ask the question, you know, how do I investigate to find out Jesus? So I've asked many, many, many people this. And particularly those that are saying, Jesus can't be, and I don't buy your religion, and I'm against it. And I say, well, you tell me this. What's the percentage of chance in your mind, what's your percentage of chance that Jesus could be who he claimed to be? Now, I'm expecting to hear zero, two percent, you know, and I hear this over and over. I'll give it 50-50, and I go, 50-50? Are you serious? No, 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 let's, let's, let's jump this down to 10 percent, 10 percent. And if you knew uh, you're on your deathbed and there were a 10 percent chance that Jesus, in your mind, could be who he claimed to be, don't you think you would have said, I wish I had investigated I can't imagine anybody laying on the deathbed saying, well, I, I don't think it's but a 10% chance, so I'm sure I'm glad I didn't waste my time. I think we'd be saying, I wish I had. And for years and years, I've said, I want to help people who, like myself, want to find an easy that gives the benefits of brief and private and able to help people investigate. So my hope is this. My, my design is not, I'm going to make you all believe what I believe. It's not. I'm just going to give you what Christianity teaches as best I know how. I'm going to tell you now, I'm not a scholar of scholars. I'm not a professional apologist, which goes around, and this is what they do. is They study every question and get every answer. And, but I think I represent well enough what Christianity historically and biblically is to help you at least get through an investigation. You'll ask me questions I can't answer. I'll say, I don't know. I'll search it out the next week. We had that happen last time with a question or two, and I didn't know the answer, and I researched it to find out and said, here's the best I think we can offer in an answer to your question. We'll try to do that. Hopefully by the end of five weeks, you go, I've had an investigation, and you draw your own conclusions. No one will push. Nobody's trying to make you just, this is an investigation. Does that make sense? We all good with that? Okay, so that, that closes that out. We're going to now uh, use the last minutes that we have here uh, for any questions that, uh, that you might have. And so um, we have about 15, 16 minutes for that. I again, if we don't have questions, that's fine. Uh, we'll put up on the board here, you can see uh, how you email. Uh, you can, that's a, the telephone or the number there is for our, our texting, if you'd like to text. A, uh, a question in. Uh, we will have, and in this room we can only have one microphone because of the situation with our speakers and all, so, but we would love to get that because 
these questions we hope you'll be able to go back and listen to. If you miss a week or whatever, uh, you can go online and listen to these. You can go to perimeter.org slash if answers. I think it's slash if answers.com or dot org. Is that correct? That's correct. So, um, but anyway, and by the way, if you'd like to invite friends to come and join you, and you'd like for them to be caught up on this, we'll have a video up tomorrow afternoon. You're welcome to go on to, uh, um, and again, which one would it be? If answers, the slash if answers. Yeah, uh, perimeter.org slash if answers. You can have them watch that and uh, hear what we've already said so they can get brought up with us in this. You're welcome to bring your friends the same way, okay? So uh, let me just see. Our, I always love to start here. I don't know if any of you have already texting anything or not. Uh, may not. This first week we usually don't have many. But do you, do you have any question you'd like to ask from the floor? Anybody just say, hey, I'd like to throw a question out right now. My first question was, is every, everything we do already planned out by God, or does he really leave some things uh, up to us to decide for ourselves? All right, great question. Great question. I think when you see in, uh, uh, in week number three, which will be on God allowing bad things to happen or however you want to ask that question, uh, you'll hear us address that maybe a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, the answer to that historically in the Christian faith is, yes, God does. In fact, there's a scripture that says that God decrees whatsoever comes to pass. Now, there are a lot of Christians today that don't want to say that because it raises other questions. Well, then does that mean? But what we do know is, according to Scripture, that man has a free will. He has a free will. Man has his own choice. He's not pushed to make decisions, to have to da-da-da-da-da-da-da, which is going to throw a challenge to our mind, right? Uh, well, wait, how can that be? Let me, before I address that aspect of it, let me say this. You better hope that God is in charge of everything. If God's not in charge of everything, we're in really big trouble. Then no one's in charge and we're in a mess. Uh, is there an evil one known as Lucifer or Satan? Is he in charge? We're in a bigger mess. So, you know, that's the... But you know what people think? They think that if you believe that God is sovereign, which is another word for what we're talking about. He is reigning, he is, and that he is omniscient, meaning he knows all things, all things, and that he is immutable, he doesn't change, he does what he's co co committed to doing. And if you believe all of that about God, then what it does is it, it, it raises this question, well, well, wait, am I not just a puppet? Do I just, you know... Everything's going to happen is going to happen? No. That's called fatalism. Fatalism is whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Christianity denies. That's very, that's very atheistic. So we, we do not believe that at all. We believe that God decrees that he's sovereign and that we have a free will. Here's what a lot of people assume. They assume that that's a contradiction. Now, if we had a time, and, and I spent 35 minutes, 30 minutes walking through in a lot of detail on this, what you'd find out is that this is not a contradiction. However, it is both a mystery to us, and it's a paradox. 
apparent, uh, uh, you don't understand the difference, the uh, contradiction are two things that are opposite and cannot coexist. You can prove that they're opposites. Those two are not opposites, but we can't see them together at the same time. To use illustration, if you took a roof, you know, and you could see the roof and you could see on this side, we're, we have the perspective that we can see on this side and it says God's sovereign. And you could walk around here and you could see man has a free will. You'd have to be at top above to be able to see them both together. So I'm not saying we can. That leads it to, to being what we call a paradox. A paradox is something that appears to be opposite but cannot be proved to be so. And so the Bible teaches both very consistently that we have a very, we're not coerced in decisions that we make at all. We have a free will. But God is at the same time very sovereign. Now, I'm going to put one other thing up here that may be uh, a benefit in the whole month that we're doing this. I like to think of it like this. Again, I was a math major in college, and so uh, you talk about that which is infinity or infinite and so forth. So I had a man who was uh, kind of helping me understand this. He was 20, 30 years my, my senior. He was a Ph.D., brilliant scholarly man, and, and uh, I, I just discovering God and trying to figure out faith and all this, and, and I just said, I don't want a God who's going to be in charge of everything and everything's, you know, done. He, and I'm kind of believing in fatalism in an essence, but I just couldn't believe that man had both this free will and, and God could be sovereign at the same time. I just said that can't be. And so I'm talking to this guy, and he had a, a big chalkboard. It was a black, it was years ago, big old black chalkboard, and he had a piece of chalk. And he said, uh, so let me just... Uh, show you something here. He said, let me use this blackboard here and let this blackboard represent the knowledge of God. He said, now, is God's knowledge infinite or finite? And I thought, well, if he's God, I guess it's infinite, which the scriptures would teach that is the case, whether it is or not, but that God would be infinite. All right. So he said, so if I let his knowledge, which is infinite, represent be represented by this board. Is this board finite or infinite? I said, it's finite. He says, okay, so I have already understated my case dramatically here, right? I go, yeah, because this board should go forever and ever and ever and ever in all four directions. I say, okay, got it. But I've made it finite. Then he drew a circle, and I'm going to make it bigger than he drew it. He drew a circle here. And he says, let's let this circle represent the cumulative knowledge of all mankind, of every human that has ever lived, collectively put together. And he says, now we know this is much, 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 much understated because the truth of it is you couldn't see the speck of all the knowledge of man compared to God that would go forever and ever infinite because man's knowledge is finite. I said, okay. And then he drew, and again, I'm way doing it bigger, he drew a little circle inside. He said, let that represent the knowledge of the person who is the, let's say, the most knowledgeable human that has ever lived, ever. Presumably now, in a modern age. But that's the, he says, now I've, I've really understated this case quite a bit because there's, that's probably a fifth or a sixth of that whole circle of all knowledge. And there's nobody that has a fifth or a sixth of all knowledge of mankind. So would you agree that that's another 
you know, I've really uh, understated this quite. I said, yeah. Then he did this. He took the piece of chalk and he went right in the middle. And he says, that represents you and your knowledge compared to the person who is the most brilliant, knowledgeable human that's ever lived. And he reminded me that this was his biggest understatement, that, uh, you know, <laughs> my knowledge is not near there. So then he said this. He said, so we understand that that little dot is way, 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 way bigger than it should be. And this board is forever less than it should be because we made it finite? I said, yeah. And then he took the eraser and he erased all around that little dot. And then he said, so all that's left is a dot you could barely see. He says, you shouldn't even be able to see that speck. He says, Randy, do you believe that it's possible if there's God that there are things that exist out here as truth that don't fit on your little dot? And that in reality, do you realize that God is truly dot in the sense of, of, uh, of the reality that we are line and he's dot? What is line? A group of dots. Dot, 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 dot. And so we can't, we can't understand God in a fullest. We'll never understand him. That's why it all pushes back to say this. Do we find merit in the Bible being worthy or trustworthy to listen to and to take our... I mean, we're going to believe something. Who are we going to believe? Well, if God gives us truth, then that's a, that's a decision we can say, I want to go that way. If we don't think it's truth, then we say there is no truth. And we're going to get into that next week. So that's pretty much... But if you want to know historic, biblically... What does, you know, what does the historic uh, Bible teach and, and so forth? It'd be yes, that, that God is sovereign. But that does not mean that we are put with a, uh, you know, we can't have free will to make our own decision. Okay? I just took a very, 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 very complex issue and made it too simple probably. But hopefully that'll help you. All right? Good. Other questions from the floor? All right. One more here. All right. Thank you. I had a second uh, question. Uh, this was discussed in my small group at school, um, so I want to answer it if I can. Uh, my question was, if everything we do is supposed to be for God, then anything we don't do that isn't for Him is automatically a sin, even if things as simple as eating, breathing, and sleeping. Is that correct? Uh, very good question. Uh, I'm going to have to answer it this way rather than a simple yes or no. Let me explain it, okay? And that's a very good. And what's your name? Raleigh. Raleigh? Okay, Raleigh. Um, thanks. Good question. Here's the thing. Anything that we do, let's say eating and drinking. Use your example there, eating and drinking. If I'm eating and drinking without the right motive in my heart, it doesn't have to be consciously, but in the motive in my heart, why should I do anything? Do I do things for me or am I ultimately living my life for God? Well, there's a, uh, the historic church years and years ago took all of the Bible and they said, how can we answer the questions that people need the answers to about life and the Bible, what the Bible has to say? And they came up with catechisms, which are questions and answers. 
And then they made it very simple, and they put it in a children's catechism. And there are 150 questions in that, 156 questions in the catechism. The very first one is, who made you? God. Okay, there's the first question. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. It's an interesting statement, for his own glory. You see, every one of us have to make a decision. This is according to the Bible, right or wrong again. But we have to make a decision. Am I going to live for God's glory? And am I going to live for my glory? And we can do anything that's good in and of itself. Eating, nothing wrong with eating, drinking. I'm not conscious when I eat and drink. Oh, I'm doing this for you, God. Not at all. But if my heart bent is going for my own glory to live life, then whatever I do is wrapped up in brokenness and sin, what the Bible would call sin, because I'm living life with a motive to go the wrong direction. But if, on the other hand, I'm moving in a direction in my heart and life is to glorify God, then whatever I do, as long as it's not against what he says is okay to do, then that's viewed as very appropriate and good. And God says, that's exactly what I want. So the issue is not, am I thinking this is for me or for God? It's where's my heart? And my heart's moving in the right direction, then what I do is in the right direction. That's good. So, you know, in a sense, yes and no to that, to that question. But, uh, but keep in mind, all of the faith that we're talking about is a heart issue. So thank you for asking questions that we need to answer, and uh, you were willing enough to ask it, all right? Do you ever think, feel wrong thinking that you're blessed when, if I believe that God blesses me with a house and a family, etc., I have to believe that I was specially chosen over someone else. It seems kind of arrogant to say that God picked me to have all this, but you're starving in the gutter. Mm. I guess it's kind of the same as problem of evil and why things are the way they are. But Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say this. Good question. I, I would say this much. There's a sense in which there's yes. Not that I would feel bad because I didn't do anything that was wrong in order to have what I have. But I also remember that I didn't do anything so good that would make God want to give me. What people don't understand, too, is that what we're really looking for, we're looking for a joy and happiness in life. And that very, very often, the people who get the things that we call blessing, that I have so much, I have a nice house, I have and so forth and so forth, is really not such a great blessing. Because what we end up doing is putting our hope and trust and love in it. And you look, many people, many people in the world that... I've traveled 40-plus countries of the world, been with the poorest people in the world, and found some of the happiest, most joyful people I've ever seen in my life. They have nothing. And I think, how can you be happy? You don't have anything. And then I realized, no, you do. They found the Lord. They found that because of their poverty, they looked to the Lord, and they looked to Him, and they find an incredible life. Whereas at the same time, I see so many people that have so very, very much, and they're like the lady Judy I was talking about and many others like them that say, I've got everything, but I'm miserable inside. So uh, in the sense, I, I wouldn't feel guilty if God chooses to, to grant me to have things that are pleasurable and good in and of themselves, nothing wrong with them. But at the same time, I, I, had a, when I, was, I used to live in uh, Macon, Georgia for a few summers. I worked there back in my college and, and uh, graduate school years. And um, I'd go back to that same job uh, each summer and where I had to go from where I lived to where I worked, I had to go down the same street, and there was a, there was a little couple that uh, looked like maybe their 60s, I don't know. 
but they had a, a grocery cart and they were going garbage can to garbage can. And they were going through the garbage and finding stuff that might, you know, satisfy them for what they need, a little food or whatever. But when I'd see them driving, they were always holding hands and they were always smiling. That's what made me feel guilty. I'd drive by and I'd say, God, why are they so very happy with so little? Answer, because that's not where you find your happiness. I don't know their story, don't know their life, but I know this, that I've learned this much. It isn't based on how much you have that makes you blessed or not blessed. And so, uh, but if God does allow you to have things that are good and pleasurable, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. So that would be my, my response, okay? Good questions. Uh, told you all the answers wouldn't be perfect or satisfy everything you're, you're asking, but at least you're able to ask the questions, and I hope that you, you're able to, to, to feedback any questions you have. If you'll go online, put any questions, we'll have those. We'll, uh, if you don't have questions from the floor, we'll bring those. We'll take a few of the best. If we don't have any here uh, coming up, we'll certainly, because uh, we don't know if you're here once a question comes up. We don't know if you're here and we're asking a question that no one's asking. So um, anyway, um, but, but we will. We'll, we'll get yours too that you're putting up, okay? Then we have, um, what is that? Okay, yeah, it, it bring, yeah, good thing, Bill. Uh, this Gospel of John, if you will, bring it, because I'll be referring to it and looking at it. It's in that little part two of each, each week, so uh, do bring that back. Let me close in prayer, and uh, again, thank you for coming. Bring a friend, and you can go online and, and uh, uh, let them watch what, uh, what you've seen, if need be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, opportunity to be here and be able to um, walk through this. Lord, many of us here are asking questions about you and what you do. And uh, Lord, our, our goal is not to uh, make you just look good. We, we want to be truthful and, and be honest about what you say of yourself. And we know that that will be the best that we could do here. So allow us to do that well. I pray that our investigation would be not just here, but as we go home and that at the culmination of all this, we'd be able to come to the conclusion of what we think about about Jesus, who so many of us here would be convinced is your son. So with that, bless us, we pray, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.